I grew up in the golden age of childhood. I, I don't want to startle anybody, but I grew up kind of in the late 60s, early 70s, and you're thinking that's really not possible. A young man like you can remember those days, but it's true. And when I was growing up, it was before video games and before cell phones. Really, we didn't even know much about computers, if anything, then. And so what we had to do in those days was actually see people and talk to them. We actually played outside. Every day we'd go outside, rain, shine, cold, dark, we'd, we'd play outside. It's incredible. Can you believe that, guys? Anybody here played outside? Just a few of you. You don't have to do that anymore now. You don't have to talk to anybody. You can text them. In fact, I've watched people, as they sit here next to each other, texting each other just the way we do it now. And while I was growing up, I think I was five, for my birthday, I received a red wagon. Can you see that? I know it's a little dark over here on this side, but I got a wagon. This is kind of a newer model. Mine was wooden, and it had gates that you could pull out, and uh, I mean, it was a magical thing. And when I would travel with my wagon, I would fill it with my treasures, all the things that were important to a five, six-year-old boy. I had baseball cards in there. I had a Mickey Mantle baseball card in there. And uh, not only did I carry that with me, sometimes I used it to put in the spokes of my bike. And sometimes I would poke holes in it, not knowing that it would be worth $3,000 in 20 years. I had baseball cards. I had a baseball bat, baseball glove, basketball, football, I had a picture of my girlfriend at the time. She was five, and she didn't know she was my girlfriend, but that didn't matter. Still got that same problem now. Now that I think about it, they don't know. Anything that was important I had in my wagon had my favorite rock. And I treasured all those things, and I treasured my wagon. Let me ask you a question. If you had a wagon today, if this particular evening, there was a wagon, and it contained everything in your life that was precious to you, that was valuable to you. Take a minute and just think about what you'd put in that wagon. Your husband might make it, maybe, or your boyfriend, or maybe your wife, though she'd tell you how to drive the wagon if you put her in it, right? Think about what you'd put in your wagon. What's really valuable to you? Maybe it's money or or some heirloom that your family has. But think about the things that, I guess if your house was on fire, you'd want to be sure you got out. What's in your wagon? What is most valuable to you in this life? There's a man who came to see Jesus, and he, he didn't have a wagon, but he had things that were important to him. He had an agenda. Uh, I want you to look at this passage with me. It's found in, in Mark chapter 10. The same story appears in Matthew and in Luke. In Matthew, it says that this guy who came to see Jesus was rich. In Luke, it tells us that he was young, rich and young. Man, that's a good, good combination, isn't it? Anybody here even one of those things? I've missed them both, rich and young. And 
he was this just really, really good guy, as the Scriptures will tell us in just a second. Let's look at it together. As Jesus was on his way, a man ran up to him, and he fell on his knees before him, and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to stop right there and just kind of point out a couple of things I saw in the Scripture. First of all, here was a guy who was eager for an encounter with Jesus. Most of the folks in that day who had anything to do with religion, who were good moral people, uh, who were churchgoers, kind of shied away from Jesus because Jesus was revolutionary and radical in what he was teaching. But this guy who really uh, had no other agenda or reason for wanting to be in the presence of Jesus came up to him, and the Bible says not only did he run up to him in eagerness that he fell on his knees. How many times have you fallen on your knees intentionally in front of somebody? I used to fall on my knees in front of my dad and beg for mercy when he would start to unstrap his belt. I have fallen on my knees a few times and begged for mercy from teachers when I hadn't studied. One day in heaven, I think probably I'll fall on my knees when I see God. may never get up from that. But doing that in, in any form or fashion, oh, I forgot one. I got married. Chris, did you fall on your knees and ask Molly to marry you? Do it again. Let's see it. <laughs> it demonstrates respect, doesn't it? It says, you deserve honor. And that's what this guy was doing as he saw Jesus. And, and, and then he asked this question, and I'll understand that his religion, everything that he knew up until that point, said, if you just live a good life, you'll make it to heaven. A lot of people still believe that today, don't they? If you just live a good life, you'll make it to heaven. But this guy knew that there had to be something more. So he said, what do I do, Jesus, to make it to heaven? What do I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why call me good? No one's good but God. Other times in Scripture, Jesus and God, uh, Jesus would say, I and God are one. I am the Father. I'm one. But this time, because he wanted to demonstrate that goodness wasn't enough, he said, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. And then the Scripture continues. Flip to the next page. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, not defraud, honor your father and mother. He, he said, Jesus, wait, those are, those are nothing. I, I have kept every commandment from birth. He kind of had deluded himself into believing he was perfect, hadn't he? Do you know people that you, you just think, man, they never do anything wrong? Well, this guy was claiming to be that type of guy since a boy. And Jesus looked at him. Bible says here, he looked at him and he loved him. 
You know when somebody looks at you, whether they love you or not, don't you, more often than not? It kind of comes and goes sometimes. But Jesus looked at him, and he loved him, and he said, man, there's one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and if you do, you will have treasure in heaven. There's a big difference between treasure in heaven and treasure here, isn't there? Because treasure here is temporary and fleeting. If you got money in your wallet tonight, it's a pretty good chance you won't have it in there in the morning, right? If you have spent a lot of money on land here, one day somebody else will be living on your land, right? You think about treasure here. And so when Jesus was saying to this young guy, this young rich guy, you are holding on to what you have now, but if you'd get rid of it and use it wisely, use it benevolently, You'd be laying up treasure in heaven. And then you come back and follow me. Well, the the Bible says the guy's face fell. I mean, he just, you know, if, if somebody came to you and said tonight, I've got a great idea, why don't you sell all that you have, leave your family, come follow me, our face would fall too. And most of us wouldn't be willing to do it. So the guy went away sad. You know why he went away sad? Because his wagon and what he had in it was more important than treasure in heaven. His wagon and what he had in it was more important than following Jesus. If you go on and read the rest of the passage, Jesus then turns to his disciples, and his disciples said, if that guy can't get into heaven, who can? And Jesus said, it's really hard. That's strange because I always thought it was really easy to get to heaven. And anybody's church you go to, at the end of the service, they say, you want to go to heaven? And you raise your hand. They say, well, you need to say you believe in God. And you say, I'll believe. I'd like to go to heaven. They need to say you're going to do your best to live a good Christian life. I'll do it. I'll do my best. You're going to make it to heaven just because you believe in your heart and admit with your mouth. Seems easy. But Jesus said, it is as hard as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle to get into heaven. Now, a camel was the biggest animal they knew anything about. That hard? At some point while Jesus was telling them that it's difficult for folks who are wealthy, who have means, who love their wagon more than anything else to make it into heaven, Peter raises his hand and he said, hey God, hey hey Jesus, we, your disciples, have given up everything. We really have followed you. What do we get? And here's what Jesus said. For anyone who sacrifices, for anyone who leaves behind things that are important to them, they're going to get a hundred times more in this life than they would have had otherwise. How many of you tonight, given the opportunity, I've got a couple of hundred dollar bills up here. 
How many of you, given the opportunity, which you're not going to get, would come trade me a dollar for a hundred? Anybody? Yeah, you greedy people. Uh, that's what Jesus was saying. Now, I just want to say a couple more things about this because I want to draw a very important distinction for you. You see, you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. You can be a believer in God and never, ever really follow him. You can go through this life and claim the promises of God and sort of just be a mediocre believer, half-hearted follower, and make it to heaven. But you'll live way below the level of blessing. In fact, about a hundred times below. And what Jesus was saying very clearly to the young man who walked away and to his disciples who remained is that it's all about what you're willing to sacrifice. All about what you're willing to sacrifice. All about what you're willing to say, God, you're more important than this in my life. It's in our prayer life all the time. We, we, we say we want to sacrifice. We say we want to follow God. But the, the fact is most of us want to lead him instead, don't we? We want to tell God what to do. We want to tell Jesus what to do. When you pray, do you pray things like this? God, here's a bunch of people who are sick over in the hospital, or maybe it's somebody who, who you love or, or you care about, and you say, God, it'd be a really, really good idea if you'd heal this person. You pray for that. Or, or maybe you're in trouble. My favorite prayer is the prayer for me to get out of trouble. Amen? God, I've made a mess. Fix this. God, I've been stupid. Please don't let me bear the consequences. Or God, there's something in this world, a material thing or a bill I need to pay, something that I need money for. God, would you please bless me so I can get that money? We are so shallow sometimes in our prayer life, if it looks like somebody else is getting blessed more than us, we may even pray a prayer of anger or jealousy. You see, a whole lot of the time when we pray and, and, and when we're dealing with God, we do it with an agenda that says, God, I want it to be about me and not about you. When God always says, if you pray for my will to be done, if you pray for my kingdom, godly things to happen in your world, I'll answer that prayer. So most of the time, even though we know we're supposed to be following God, what do we end up doing? Trying to lead him along trying to tell him what he needs to do. I think that God must sit in heaven and laugh at the things we ask for, don't you? Remember when Jim Carrey was God in the movies? He would laugh. And I think God might laugh at some of the stupid things we ask for because we don't know any better. We want to lead him rather than allowing him to lead us. 
What we really want to do, I think, is we want to call out to God. We want to ask our Lord Jesus, you know, I want you to be a part of my life. Matter of fact, not only do I want you to be a part of my life, I want you to be one of the better things in my life, one of the most valuable things. So why don't you hop in the wagon? Why don't you hop in my wagon? And I can take you anywhere I want to take you. I can even put you out when it's inconvenient for you to go where I want to go. So what does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to be a, become what Jesus asked the rich young ruler to be a sacrificial follower? What's it mean in your life? Scripture tells us some very specific things that apply to all of us. The Scripture says love your enemies. That's not normal. That's radical, isn't it? But you got a list of people you'd really like to just slap? Huh? Come on, right? Don't anybody point up here. I can't even see you. Scripture says, forgive those who despise you. That's not fair either, is it? We'd really rather get revenge. Scripture says, turn the other cheek. Don't repay harshness with harshness. Maybe instead of criticizing your spouse, you might bring up a word of encouragement from time to time. Maybe instead of, of hanging out at school and dragging down your friends, you might maybe try to help their lives and lighten a burden. The Scripture says that allow your life to look as much like the life of Christ as possible so it will be evident that you've been a follower. There's some things we hold tightly to in that wagon that are just not compatible with following Jesus, aren't they? What in your life is not compatible? What in your wagon doesn't fit with discipleship? Maybe it's a, a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in, that you're pursuing, or, or that you've already got and it is literally destroying you. You can't follow Jesus when he doesn't have your heart completely. Maybe it's an addiction. Don't we hear every day about somebody who's addicted to something and it has their entire being captured and they can't even breathe or thinking about how that addiction controls their lives. Maybe it's school or a job or, or, or something that has become so important to you that it has destroyed your relationship with God. Not necessarily a bad thing, but something that's in your wagon where God should be. See, I think tonight it's important 
to look at this particular passage and know that Jesus may ask you to give up something in order for you to live abundantly and a hundred times better than you are tonight. He may ask you to sacrifice. And the difference between being a half-hearted believer and a passionate Christ follower is sacrifice. Not my favorite word, sacrifice. Being willing to say yes when Jesus says, follow me and leave your wagon behind. Would you pray with me? Father, I believe across this room tonight are people who want more in their lives. They want to know you more. They want to, they want to feel your power. There may be even questions about why should I be a Christ follower? Why don't I hear him more? Why don't I feel you more, God? Why don't I see you more? There may be folks here who are broken and confused, disillusioned, no purpose in life, who are living, but they're not really living, just existing. Father, help us tonight to re-examine what's really important to us. To see if the things that matter are in our wagon. To see who's really leading and who's following. And Father, would you forgive us tonight? Would you, with your heart of mercy, forgive us for getting off the path? for following the wrong passions, for pursuing the wrong goals, for fighting the wrong battles. Would you forgive us for failing to follow you? In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think about as we stand and sing, I want you to think about where your life's headed. So many of you in this room have so many years ahead of you. And if you don't answer that question, you're going to wind up in the wrong place. Where's your life headed? What's in your wagon? Who are you following? And you know what I think? I think if you answer those questions well, you'll begin to know what it's like to live a hundred times better. You'll know the peace of God. You'll know the joy of God. You will know that your life is being lived significantly and it has an impact. I want you to live like that. Come to this altar. Share in an offering. Talk to the Lord. Find his peace as we stand and sing.